As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I spent the last... Uh, 24 hours or so debating what Ron Rivera intended to say when he gave a one-word answer of, quote, quarterback, end quote, when it came to why the commanders have fallen behind the other teams in the NFC East. I'll talk about that in a second, but the real crux of the show is this. Two great guests today. First off, former Washington head coach Jay Gruden joined me today. We discussed... Uh, you know, there was a game just a couple days ago. They lost to the Titans. I went through with Jay, who's obviously an offensive-minded coach, about what he saw uh, at the end of the game on the two-yard line. Uh, what did he think of the of Carson Wentz's decision to throw that ball, the play calls in general, uh, why didn't they run, things along those lines, along with other thoughts about this team. And I got his view as somebody who has been in that Coaches, see what did he think of Ron Rivera's comments this week. Then, big guest from my company, The Athletic, Robert Mays, host of The Athletic Football Podcast and one of our senior writers, he joined me. Robert is also a Chicago Bears guy. Uh, And so, in addition to talking about Thing, some topics around the league. I got his view on what's going on around the league. Um, and w- he's got big opinions on Carson Wentz. Um, we, Robert and I talked about Carson Wentz earlier in the season on his podcast. But we also previewed a little bit about the Bears. He gave us insight into Justin Fields and what to consider for this game. So I'll get to all that in a moment. Of course, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or you can listen commercial-free on the Athletic app. And I will just say, I apologize to those Athletic uh, subscribers. Uh, I, the For those of you who don't know, I'll just inside baseball, uh, most of our podcasts have producers. I don't for this one. Don't ask me why. It's whatever. We'll work that out. But I have to sort of do all the editing and uploading. And I always seem to just, for whatever reason, forget to upload it. To the athletic, it's a, it's an extra step. I'm gonna do better about that, so I apologies, uh, apologize for that. 
But if you are interested in joining The Athletic, in addition to reading myself or David Aldridge or anybody else in our company, you can listen to this podcast commercial free. Uh, so we'll get that going here. I, I, I promise you that. Uh, of course, again, you can subscribe to The Athletic. You can hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standig. And, you know, I've got to, uh, you know, I've got to get moving here. We've got a game on Thursday. Needless to say, the commanders need to work this out. Um, before I get to, to talk, getting into that and getting into these conversations, just a quick couple thoughts here about this week and, and where things stand with this team. With regards to Rivera's comments about Carson Wentz, by now, I'm sure you've heard all kinds of people in town talk about this, probably even myself. I've done multiple radio hits over the last 24 hours on this. Um, and today, both Ron Rivera and Carson Wentz spoke. And I, I would just say in general, I think the controversy is dead. I think it spiraled out of control yesterday, meaning Monday, because Rivera, as I said, gave the one-word answer of quarterback. And even though he was attempting to provide more context, or I should say that we gave him the chance to do that, I asked. I, I jumped in at the very end to ask him a couple other questions to try to give him to to to, to help explain a little bit better what he was saying. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't the best answer. Nonetheless, he today said he told us that he spoke to the team. He spoke to Carson Wentz privately, explained that he you know basically botched what he was trying to say. It was an unforced error. He should know better, but he he he, he took the hit. He apologized for that and, you know, kind of moved on from there. Carson Wentz came in and spoke to us later. He said he you know, really didn't know what was going on until somebody on the PR staff told him. Wentz is, seems like he's pretty legit about saying he doesn't pay any attention to social media based on what he's gone through the last two years. That's understandable. And I spoke to different players in the locker room, Antonio Gibson, um, John Allen, Deron Payne, and they all said, hey, you know, we, we heard what Coach had to say. Uh, you know, people make say the wrong thing sometimes. They, 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 they didn't seem to mind. So I think, by and large, this topic is over in terms of the idea that Ron Rivera was throwing Carson Wentz under the bus. However... I feel like that aspect of it overshadowed the point that Rivera was actually trying to make, which to me doesn't really make much sense at all. His he has said previously, you know, I mean that you know, but yeah, you know, look, you need to get a quarterback. I think we all understand this. And that until you do, you know, it's hard to move forward. And so what he was basically saying is that. The other teams in the division have been in a position where they could build around a quarterback longer than essentially he's had a chance to do with Carson Wentz, and that's why they are further ahead. Well, it doesn't take much to know that that's not really an accurate statement. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys have been able to build around Dak Prescott. The thing is, Dak Prescott has missed all but one game this year. And as we know, Cooper Rush has come in, a nondescript backup. And won four consecutive starts, including the beat Washington in week four. And Cooper Rush, I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. Dallas, as a reminder, waived him on final cuts. Now, they anticipated bringing him back 
because, you know, everybody was cool with the scenario. But hypothetically, another team could have claimed him off waivers. You know, like, I, I don't think Washington is is releasing Taylor Heineke because I imagine somebody would have potentially put him put a waiver claim in. That's I'm not saying that's how little Dallas thought of him, but they were willing to go through this exercise to do that. Anyway, so that is a little bit odd. Uh, then you get to the Giants. Not only is Daniel Jones a quarterback who I have always thought has been a bit underrated and, and overly maligned, I guess. Nonetheless, he is a guy that, you know, the Giants did not pick up his fifth-year option. He has not exactly shown himself to be a top-notch quarterback, even this year, even though the Giants are are, are playing better. But specifically to Rivera's comments, he is working with a brand-new head coach and a brand-new general manager, and that team is 4-1. and one. So he's he's in a new system for as long as Carson Wentz is in a new system. Except that's not, except that for the Giants, they're having to start from scratch all the way around. Whereas for Washington, they already have Scott Turner's system is in place for everybody but the quarterback. You know what I mean? They said they've had time to build the pieces around them. Um, he didn't in the in the Giants' comeback win Sunday against the Packers. The, they didn't even have their best three, like, three receivers. The receiver with the most snaps for them in that game was elevated from the practice squad. So this would be like if Mark and Michelle was the number, you know, the top receiver for the commanders uh, in their next game. And yet the Giants are winning. And then you have the Eagles. It's a second. Look, the Eagles are a really good team, a, a roster top to bottom, but it's still a second year coach. It's less than Rivera. It's not like Jalen Hurts is playing very well, but it's not like he was a proven commodity coming into this year. I think a lot of people had questions. I certainly did about Jalen Hurts, and we'll see ultimately how he does in the postseason. But my point is that if they, whatever he thinks they're they're behind these other teams, it is not because of the quarterback situation. I think the reality is that Washington's obviously underachieving to this point, and he this is the coach that has said. Third year, he expects them to take a jump because that's what happened in Carolina. It's not happening so far. And I think so far is an important word there because we've seen this team rally in each of his first two seasons. Um, Jonathan Allen today was asked if this, I asked him, in fact, basically, I was like, you know, not everybody likes to call such games must win, but do you? And he said, quote, definitely. And then he went on to say that it's not like a lot of teams that have start one and five end up having good years. Well, ironically, of course, this 2020 team started at one and five under Rivera with Allen and ended up winning the NFC East. Now I know they were only seven and nine, but nonetheless to go from one and five to seven and nine is notable. And they were fortunate enough that year to make the playoffs. Um, so, and then of course, last year they start two and six, win the next four games uh, to get back into the mix. They were actually in the wild card position if the season had ended at that point, but obviously that's not how it works. My point is that we'll see if these guys are able to make a comeback. It just does feel different though right now in terms of where things are at. There's just it's hard to point other than like the defensive line and I guess the, the receivers went healthy where the strengths of this team are. I think that Brian Robinson, now that he's got one game under his belt, you know the, his ability to help 
provide more consistency to the offense should be a, could be possibly be a significant boost for them. But at the same point, it's not looking good. Uh, this game against the Bears is, in fact, like Jonathan uh, Allen said, a must win. Because if you go to one in five and you've just lost to the Bears and now the upcoming schedule includes Green Bay. You know, I know the Colts aren't playing well, but it's at Indianapolis. Then you've got in some order Minnesota, Philadelphia later down the line, you know, Cleveland, San Francisco, two games against the Giants, Dallas. You know, it's it's getting it's getting complicated. So they need to figure out how to get this win. And I think if they don't, and I'll have a story up on the athletic on uh Tuesday on Wednesday, sort of talking about what happens if they don't work this out. You know, I, I, I think Ron Rivera is going to have to put on his GM hat and start thinking about where this team is. Uh, that That's a conversation for another day. But, you know, this is a big, uh, this is a huge game, to say the least. Uh, it's a nationally televised game. No doubt people around the country will make fun of the matchup. D- deservedly so. Um, the Bears, both these teams are among the lowest scoring teams in the league. The Bears run defense ranks 31st. I think that's something to keep in mind in the sense that, um, you know, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, JD McKissick, maybe this is a way for Washington to take some pressure off Carson Wentz on the offensive line, run the ball, and maybe they can get it done. I I have picked, I am 5-0 and this year in picking Washington's games. I picked them to beat Jacksonville and I've had them losing the next four. I have no idea what to make of this game because the Bears are not exactly crushing it. They were more competitive this week against the Vikings. Uh, we talk, I talked about it with Robert, and he said he thought Justin Fields played pretty well in that game. I, until I see Washington turn this around, I'm going to probably keep going away from them, especially on the road, even if it's the Bears are not that good. All right, and as for the game... Jahan Dotson, Logan Thomas were two of the players today who did not practice. This Tuesday practice was a light practice, no helmets. Um, you know, obviously they got to get ready for this game, a quick turnaround. Uh, so I would imagine neither one of those guys play. Percy Butler also did not practice. Same with Jonathan Williams and, of course, Sam Cosme. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, also, Deami Brown limited with a groin injury. So we'll, we'll, you know, obviously he was huge last week replacing Dotson. I, I talked to him a little bit. I would imagine he's playing, but, you know, maybe he's not quite uh, 100%. So that's something to consider there. Did speak to Brian Robinson as well. Uh, you know, I think he's ready to go. Uh, he said he's a little bit sore after that game, as you would imagine. He hadn't played he hadn't had any contact in, you know, in several weeks, not to mention, you know, all these guys are, are, are feeling sore after a game. But, you know, he seemed pretty in pretty good spirit. So I would imagine he should be ready to go. And like, as I said, this is a pretty good matchup against a Bears run defense that is, uh, you know, next to last in the league in yards allowed per game. Jay Gruden and Robert Mays are going to come up and talk about where things are with this with this team in a variety of different ways. We'll talk about uh, offense with Jay Gruden. We'll talk about some league topics as well with Robert. I think you guys will really enjoy these conversations. Uh, so let's do that. Here we go. We'll start with Jay Gruden 
And then we'll get to Robert Bass from The Athletic here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Welcome back to his weekly spot on the podcast. Former Washington head coach Jay Gruden is with us. Uh, it's always the the start we, we I've been going with is checking in on how your Sunday uh, football watching was was it a, uh, a, a, a were we back at the sports bar again and if so, if so what did uh, what, what how was the day for you it was a good day I started the one o'clock games at one sports bar and then scooted over to another sports bar met some friends of mine for the four o'clock games and watched the Rams and uh, had a good day it's fun did you watch the uh, London game we are yeah did you watch that one I watched uh, the second half yeah I forgot I was on the first half <laughs> Well, you, you've done that game. Well, what do you, what do you, I mean, we all understand why the NFL is doing this, trying to expand the market overseas and who knows, maybe one day put a franchise there, but as a guy who has to deal with this, you have, your, your schedule gets completely changed and altered. What, what did you like? Did you like the going overseas? I didn't like anything about it. I'm probably <laughs> one of the few that didn't like anything about it, but I didn't like the travel. I didn't like, uh, I didn't like anything. It was uh, <laughs> terrible. Is it is it much worse going to London than going to L.A. from here? Uh, a little bit, but I don't like those L.A. trips either. But obviously, you got to do them. But the London trip was a little bit extreme to me. You know, we fly, we flew out on a Thursday. We got there Friday morning, and uh, so we had to get off the plane and go to practice. And guys were already, you know, they're comatose. We got nothing out of them at practice. <laughs> yeah, right. meetings. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a tough trip. But you know, it was it was. I guess doing it one time only, I can handle it. But if you had to do it once a year, I don't think that would be very fun. Right. Well, like your your other former team, the Jags, like they seem to have to do it like every year. Like that would seem to be get uh, annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, cool. Well, uh, speaking of of, of annoying, uh, we're talking about a Commanders team that is unfortunately for them uh, still skidding since we last spoke. Dropped the game on Sunday to the Titans. Uh, with Carson Wentz for throwing an interception at the goal line, uh, basically the final play of the game with a chance to win. Uh, before we get into that sequence, just I guess, what's your broad view of kind of what you saw on Sunday? Well, I thought Carson played a lot better. Uh, put himself, put the team in a position to win. And if you say, hey, we got three plays from the one yard line to win the game, you got to feel pretty good about it against Tennessee, who obviously was the number one seed last year in the AFC. So, it's not like it was a, a bad team they were playing against. It's a good football team, and they were in position to win the game, and Carson had a lot to do with that. But uh, unable to to uh, finish the drive at the one-yard line with three plays is, is a tough pill to swallow for him. You obviously had to deal with um, clock management, uh, timeout management, things like that. As a coach, for you at least, how – because this was part of the question with, with what happened there that Ron Rivera called – the way he used his timeouts, one on a challenge, those on a third one play that seemed questionable, and then he used timeouts with only one play in between on the last drive, and then that left him with no timeouts at the end. For you, like how was was, was dealing with timeouts and clock management natural? Did you have to really like study it? Did you have people helping you? How did how was that process? 
Well, it's difficult because something comes up that you don't expect. You know, you lose a timeout because of a challenge. Somebody in the booth told them to challenge that catch, and they thought it was the right thing to do. Unfortunately, they lost it. So that was one timeout. Then the rest of them, you got to play it by ear. Uh, it could be injury timeout. It could be your guys are gassed. It could be you want to get to a good, your perfect play on third down and one or fourth and one. Uh, but obviously, the first half, they're a little bit more expendable than in the second half. Second half, I tried everything I could not to use them until the end of the game. Obviously, if you're trailing, you need them to get the ball back. Or if you got the lead, like or at the end of the game, you want to have timeouts to make sure guys get their poise about them and, and you get the best possible play called. So uh, the second half timeouts are golden. You got to save them as much as you can. Um, okay. So we get, regardless of all that, like I wasn't pushing on this topic as much as others, in part because at the end of the day, they got to the two yard line, however they got there, with 19 seconds left. That's enough time to run three plays at least, maybe even four, depending on what happens. It does probably eliminate the run because you don't have the timeout. Is that for you? Would that just 100% take out the run? Uh, Eve, or yeah, would that just take out the run for you no matter what? I think so, you know, because if you don't get it and by the time everybody gets off the pile, um, either you have to have another play called and ready to go or you have to spike it and you lose it down. Um, so you're looking at possibly if having four plays with 19 seconds up as opposed to two if you try to run and you don't get it. Obviously, if they get it, it's a touchdown, they win. But I think uh, having three possible plays to throw it in the end zone, I think would be better than possibly two. Um, I th- McKissick was in the backfield at least the last two plays, if not all three, as opposed to get Antonio Gibson or Brian Robinson. Those other two guys are more of a run threat, you would think, in that situation at, at the two. does And they both can catch passes if you can't run. Does at least putting one of those bigger guys in the backfield at least maybe have Tennessee have to think about the run, or is that just silly? There's no, they're thinking to themselves, they're not running. We're not even going to worry about what's going on back there. Yeah, if you're thinking about throwing a ball, you want your best pass catcher. Antonio dropped the pass earlier in the game, and I think uh, they're most comfortable with uh, McKissick uh, coming out of the backfield, whether they line him up in empty, which I thought they might do, uh, or out of the backfield coming out and trying to you know, get him free on a linebacker. Okay, so uh, should we go play-by-play play here then? I guess the first play, Carson throws the, the pass effectively out of the end zone, but almost not out of the end zone because the defensive back actually was able to get his hands on it, um, but landed out of bounds. Uh, I guess it was to John Bates, but it really was kind of didn't look like – I don't know what was going on there. What what did you see? All, yeah, it looked, on, on like they were tra- looked like they thought they were going to get man-to-man. They tried like a quick cross play, and then they played zone, and they just passed it off perfectly, and Carson threw it out of the back of the end zone, almost tragically intercepted. But, uh, yeah, sometimes when you try some of these pick plays, expect a man-to-man, and you get zone coverage, you're dead. And, uh, you know, I, I think once he saw it was zone, probably been more beneficial to throw it away a little bit quicker so they had maybe a chance for another play. Did you have – I should have asked this before we start – before I asked you the sequence. Did you have – a specific pet play that you like? Because basically we're talking about a two-point conversion here. Was there like a play that you like to run in that spot? And if so, I guess, what what was it? Oh, you always have two or three. Yeah, you got to prepare to have two or three or four uh, two-point plays called ready to go. Uh, it, it could be a combination of things. If you're talking strictly pass, you know, we had some plays out of empty. We like to spread them out a little bit more and then try to get the matchups that we wanted and try to see. And if we got cover zero, we always had an audible ready to go to max protect it. Uh, or have a hot, some kind of hot system, a little quick out or whatever it might be. Um, you know, the play we ran against Philadelphia to beat them on a two-point play was probably our best empty play. Um, but, yeah, there, there's a lot of them you can get to. Uh, but, like I said, I like spreading them out a little bit more than keeping them back in the backfield. All right. So then we get to the second down play, and this is the first time when Wentz throws 
towards uh, J.D. McKissick. That one also obviously doesn't work. What did you uh, recall seeing on that play? Uh, they dropped eight, and I think the defensive tackle uh, broke it up. You know, so that's that's what you're going to get down there at the two-yard line. You're either going to get a max cover zero blitz where they're going to just try to shove it down your throat and make you get rid of the ball in about a second, or you're going to get some version of coverage, drop eight zone coverage. Uh, that's what uh, teams like to do, or they could double your two best receivers. They could double Samuel. They could double Terry and play man-to-man -man everywhere else. So there's a lot of different versions of coverage you get down there. It's very difficult. It's a lot harder to score down there than you think, especially throwing the ball. And, and to that point, because obviously there's a lot of congestion, as we know, the next play, the ultimate, the final play, was also a pass to McKissick. And look, Katie McKissick is a hell of a pass catcher. He's also probably the shortest guy they have among their main playmakers. He's, you know, seven inches shorter than tight end Cole Turner, right? He's, he's uh, an inch or two shorter than than, than Terry McLaurin. Uh, I, you can have any play design kind of work. I'm sure you probably had Chris Thompson back in your day. You would have had no problem, I imagine, throwing him another pass catcher who's not big. What's the – what about the about, – it seems like too overly challenging though to throw essentially a slant to JD McKissick in that space, independent of what the linebacker did on that play. But like, is that, am I looking at that wrong or, or, or do you, I mean, don't you want to go to a bigger target there? Uh, I mean, you like to usually the bigger targets, you want to work at the back end lines or back shoulder fades or fades in the end zone. Um, but, or working the back end line coming across the middle. Those are good to have bigger type receivers. You can throw over linebackers. They go up and get it. Uh, but the smaller guys, I mean, they're going to have to play somehow, sometime, and, and they're eligible receivers, and they have to make uh, make it work. They played zone coverage again, and, and like I said, David Long made a great play on that play. He jammed Terry McLaurin, and once Carson saw him put hands on Terry, he thought that open area would be right there, and he tried to stick it into J.D. Uh, the timing of the play wasn't quite uh, as good as if J.D. was lined up and empty, where he would have been there a little bit quicker, and I think he would have got there before uh, David Long, but the play took a little bit long to develop, and David Long did a great job of putting hands on Terry McLaurin and then getting back to his hook, dropping, breaking it up. And we don't even or know. And if McKissick had actually even caught the pass, it's even a question of actually if he had, was going to be over the line. He got hit immediately by the other defender on behind him, and he was kind of right there. I mean, if maybe he catches it, it's across the plane. I'm holding my hands up. <laughs> if yeah, can see me. Yeah. Um, so that's even that. I don't know if he would have gotten in, but I guess. Uh, that would have been a whole different level of controversy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, if you're going to do that two man combination where you got to get in the end zone, I would have preferred to see if I had my druthers, it's not a terrible play that he called. I would have put him out uh, on the hip lined up outside and empty off Terry McLaurin. So he for sure would have got in the end zone. He could have taken a little bit more time, got a little bit more width and then stuck his foot in the ground and, and hit that trail route a little bit quicker. Uh, would have been more beneficial in my opinion, but it's still not a bad play call. It's just a great play by David Long. And, you know, Carson Wentz said when it, when he threw the ball, left his hands, he thought it was six points. Um, obviously, in that spot, you need to get the ball out quick. And that's, you know, Carson Wentz in general. A lot of the questions are, does he hold the ball too long? Clearly here, he didn't do that. Did you, uh, like you said, David Long made a really good play. Everybody seems to acknowledge that. But from just in terms of what Wentz is looking at, hypothetically, from, you know, your vantage point, did he make the right read? And it just was, it just ultimately really was that good play by the defender? Yeah, I think he did. I think uh, the rule is if, if David puts hands on Terry, if he doesn't put hands on Terry, then he continues to progress to Terry and then whoever else the combination is, the other three-man combination on the front side. Once he put hands on Terry, that ball's got to be stuck 
and you're trying to replace them right there in that spot. I just think it took a little too long. JD took a little bit too long coming out of the backfield uh, to get to the spot that he needed to get to, which made Carson just a little bit late, which enabled David Long to put hands on Terry and then get back in the passing lane and make the interception. Um, all right. So the, that, that, that sequence is now a couple of days old and the world has already moved on to other things. But, you know, Washington, it was like their best game, I thought, since the opener overall. Um, you know, Deami Brown steps up, gets two long touchdown passes. Montez Sweat gets his first two sacks of the year. The defense last year couldn't stop anybody on third down, had another good day. They are ranked, I think, fifth or sixth right now in third down uh, uh, defensive co- you know, conversion percentage. So there are some things to build on, not to mention, of course, Brian Robinson just being able to play and being part of the game. But they also were one of 11 on third down on offense. The, the, the one conversion came in the last 24 seconds of the game. A bunch of penalties. The offensive line, particularly Andrew Norwell, was kind of messy. Uh, what was your sort of view kind of where of overall? And does this, this kind of where this team is at? Because being better is not enough at, the, at, at this point. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was uh, positive to see him play a lot better than he did the previous two weeks. Uh, they looked like they played more physical than Tennessee up front, especially I think the defensive line, Payne and Allen and Montez did a great job in that game, uh, putting constant pressure on Tannehill. Uh, the secondary covered a lot better. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some positives there. Um, they rushed the passer well. They stopped the run fairly well. Obviously, Derrick Henry's going to have his hits. Uh, and then offensively, I thought it was a big positive. They got the big plays. You know, Deami Brown made two big plays. Terry got a big play down the middle. Um, Samuel had a nice play down the sideline on a corner route. So that's a positive. You have to get big plays with this offense. Uh, I mentioned this before going 80 yards and 18 plays is going to be almost impossible for this offense. So they got to figure out a way to muster up some big plays. And they did that. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, you're playing toe to toe with a team that's about as equally as talented as you. And you got the ball three times at the two yard line. You got to win the game. So as a guy who's been in the spot of, you lose a game like that, you feel some positive on some level, except the scoreboard tells you, no, not so fast. And then you got to come out and talk to people like me to explain what happened. How do you balance that? Okay. Actually we made positive steps forward, except that we still lost. And ultimately this is a win or loss, you know, results oriented business. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's tough to talk to the team in a locker room. They feel like they played hard and uh, you just didn't get it done. And uh, you know, as long as everybody takes some accountability, the coaches alike and the players, uh, then you have a chance. You got to have a quick regroup session here. Um, you got to be positive. You got to be demanding. Um, and you got to expect the best of these guys for two or three days. It's going to be a grind to get the game plan together. And you have to beat Chicago. There is no if, ands, and but about it. You have to beat Chicago to get yourself to two and four and then just worry about what you guys do from here on out. Don't worry about who's playing in front of you, what the Giants are doing, what the Eagles are doing, or Cowboys. You just got to take it one game at a time. The coaches all say, but you have to beat Chicago. There's no doubt about it. Um, one, the one probably big personnel move that happened in this game was William Jackson was taken out of the game, we'll say, uh, towards the end of the first quarter. Benched or not, there, there's still some some confusion on that. We've asked Rivera now multiple times that he's refused to say what actually occurred. Jackson said he had a back injury and seemed to infer that he was telling the coaches it wasn't going to be his day, uh, but he's also obviously struggled. Uh, for you, like, what's that? What's notable here, it's not just that he's a starter. He's the second highest paid player on the team. And if, in fact, he is being benched, 
that's a significant moment, you know, line you're crossing. What's that line or what, what's that line for a coach of, look, I understand the investment that we have here, not just for today, but also moving forward at the same time, it's not working. And I got to make a call here, how to improve this team. How do you, what, what's that thought process for uh, for a coach? Well, if he's not healthy, it's a whole different argument. If he's not healthy and his back is bothering him, you take him out. That's that's bottom line. He's done. Uh, however, if he is healthy and uh, you want to make a change to try to get a spark, maybe the rookie guy is playing pretty good. You want to see what he does uh, and get William his time to step back and just reevaluate what he's doing. Uh, maybe give him a little bit more fuel to fire his performance later on in the year because you're going to have to be you're going to need William Jackson third eventually before the year is up, in my opinion. So. You don't want to totally crush his confidence or uh, put him in the tank because he is still a pretty good corner. They paid him a ton of money, but if he's not playing up to speed, you gotta you gotta put the guys in there that's gonna give you the best chance to win for that game. Uh, moving forward, uh, I don't know if it's gonna be Holmes. I don't know who it's gonna be uh, in front of William Jackson, but you're gonna need William Jackson. You got to get his confidence going. Uh, you got to coach him up and, and get him ready to play against some of these quality receivers you're gonna see later on. I think on the outside, we like to say with certain players in certain positions, probably especially a quarterback, that when a player gets benched, that's it. I mean, maybe they have to get put back in because of injuries or something. But in general, like one on some guys, it's not just that day. It's not just that week. You're basically saying, we're, we're, you know, see ya. You're not coming back. But is that actually the case? Like, do you, uh, what well, are the time? Yeah, that's the case. You got to either move on him or put him on IR and, and get his back right or something like that. You want to get him off the, if he's going to be a cancerous situation in your locker room and it's a major problem, you got to do something with that roster spot. I don't know William from Adam. Um, I hear he's a great guy. So I think, uh, I think the best thing to do is just can you continue to coach him? Because like I said, uh, he has the skill set to be a solid corner in a league. He's already proven that. So you're going to need him when you play, some of these receivers you're getting ready to play. I mean, you're going to have CeeDee Lamb coming up. You know, you might be able to get by him uh, against Chicago. You know, they don't have a huge receiving core. They don't throw the ball very much. You right. know, they average about 100 yards passing. But I think later on down the road against some of these teams that air it out, you're going to need them. Yeah, and I think Jackson is, 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 a, is a good good teammate, good, good locker room presence, always been cool with us. So, yeah, I don't think that would be an issue. It's just more of, yeah, I'm just always curious, like, that 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 notion from a, from a coach. Um all right. I, I don't know if there's anything else you have left to say about the, the the team. You know, we're already kind of moving off that game. There's another game here on Thursday. But yesterday, Monday, Ron Rivera gave his, you know, day after uh, press conference. And obviously there were a lot of interesting things that were said in there. I know you, you've had a chance to at least hear some of it um, as a guy who's had to sit there and answer the questions from us and, and you know I'm sure you probably said some things I remember one thing in particular maybe you wish you could take kind of take something back what did you make of Ron Rivera's comments yesterday particularly the one when he's asked why are the other NFC East teams jumping you at this point and he get, comes back with a one-word answer quarterback without providing any other context initially <laughs> what did you make yeah. of kind of all uh that makes no sense obviously he hasn't studied the nfc east quarterback positions because cooper rush has won five games in a row or four games in a row he's played five games as a starter obviously uh jalen hurts hasn't played a whole lot in the nfl and uh, daniel jones with a new coach right now so uh you know it'd be different if he was talking about tom brady and aaron Rodgers and patrick mahomes and jail or whoever but you're talking about a pretty young group um and there's no excuse why Carson Wentz shouldn't be performing uh, at the same level as these guys. And he actually, Carson has put up some decent numbers. If you look at his stats, 
uh, other than taking sacks, um, he's done some pretty good things. So it was unfair to Carson. Um, I'm sure he's going to take that back probably today. At least he should, uh, because Carson's doing everything he can, uh, despite having a pretty lackluster offensive line in front of him, uh, being down and being one dimensional. Um, it's just unfair to Carson because Carson's given all he's got. That's for sure. So, you know, we asked more questions to Rivera and for further context, he basically said that what he's trying to suggest is that these other teams have had a quarterback to build around and this, and, and he, they, they haven't yet. Carson's new. And that is true here, but as you said, it's also not true for the other spots. Daniel Jones is in, with a new first year coach and Brian Dable, who seems like he's doing a really good job, but it's the first year. Uh, the Philadelphia coach, this is only his second year. And there were a lot of questions about Jalen Hurts coming into this year. And, you know, as you noted, Cooper Rush is the backup. So whatever they built for Dak Prescott is not necessarily for Cooper Rush, who, as a reminder to the people, Dallas released, he was on the practice squad. Dallas released him to put him on the practice squad. I imagine he wasn't going to go anywhere, but they left him open to be claimed. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and now he's this guy. So it's not like they thought so much of him that they were, you know, that they were unwilling to, to, to risk it. But t- to that end, like what, what's it like as a coach in that spot when you're trying to answer the questions, but you're also trying to defend yourself or whatever the situation may be you're trying to put in, try, you know, you don't want to make anybody look bad, including yourself. So what's that like trying to answer the question, but also trying to provide perhaps some context for yourself as to what's happening while not exposing everything too much. Well, in my opinion, uh, with a, a, a few, with maybe one exception back to my first year coaching, I think it's very important for the co- the coach to take all the bullets. He's got to wear a bulletproof vest up there. He's got to take all the bullets from the media. He can never talk anything negative about any position or player on his team. He's just got to be positive about those guys and say they're going to get better, and it's their job as coaches to get them better. Uh, but you can't pin it all on Carson Wentz, for God's sakes. The defense has uh, not gotten the turnovers. How many touchdowns have they scored on defense? How many times has is, is, uh, Washington got the ball inside the 20 starting to drive? You know, how's the offensive line playing? Are they consistently mashing people? How's the running game? You know, how's the tight end play? How's the tight ends blocking at the point of attack? I mean, there's there's a lot of issues you can point to. You can't just single out Carson Wentz, for God's sake. So uh, that that that's unfair. And uh, as a coach, it's very important to, uh, you know, behind closed doors where you're talking to the team, you might point out some flaws that these individual players have or the units have as a whole. But when you're out in front of the media, I don't think you can ever talk about them position in a negative way other than we have to get better um yeah no for 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 sure do you like i mean again as somebody who's had to do these things whether it's Rivera or just anybody when you see a coach maybe step in it do you ever like have sympathy for that <laughs> or do you think uh you know what you know this is this is the deal this is why you're getting you know uh yeah this is the deal you know it's it's uh yeah i sometimes like to google teams that lost on sundays and see what they're saying about them it's actually fun uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's a tough deal and you have to understand that as a coach and you know, anybody who's taken a job as a head coach knows that if you don't win, there's going to be a lot of smoke and, and you got to handle it and you got to handle it the right way. And, uh, you can never throw your team out of the bus because then you'll have some dissension amongst the team. They come in the meetings, they're looking at you with, uh, you know, one eye open, one eye closed. And, and, uh, and then they start to lose faith in what you're doing in practice and your meetings and your plays then they start to gossip in the corners and little groups you'll have pulling against each other. You got to keep everybody on the same page somehow, some way when times are tough, because if you can't get a win and get a win, uh, then all of a sudden people have more confidence and come together and uh, it can snowball in a positive way. 
but it can also snowball in a negative way if you're not careful. Um, all right. So if they're not careful this season, I mean, this season is already at one and four in a rough position. Now, of course, they have had comebacks in, during his first two years. They went to started two and six last year and won the next four games. So maybe another rally looms. They've got to turn this around quick. And that starts Thursday against the Bears. Uh, you mentioned they're not exactly the most explosive offense in the world, but they do have a young quarterback in Justin Fields, who you know, hopefully, hopefully for their sake is ascending. Sounds like he had one of his better games this past week against the Vikings. Uh, to whatever degree you've been able to watch Fields and the Bears, what's what's kind of stood out to you? They're scrappy. You know, they're uh, they're they're not a work of art by any stretch of the imagination on offense. It's been ugly um, throwing the ball. It's been uh, for NFL standards, it's been uh, way below that. Uh, but uh, you can see uh, Justin getting better and better. And uh, he can hurt you with his legs very badly. And and obviously, they're going to rely on David Montgomery and, and Herbert to run the ball. So they better be able to stop the run. Uh, and they better be able to contain him on third down. Because if he doesn't complete a pass on third down, he's going to run. He's going to hurt you with his legs. So they better have a spy around him somewhere close. Uh, but always have eyes on him. Uh, when he is throwing the ball because he ha- he can't hurt you with uh, 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 plays that are off schedule and with his legs. Um, anything you would uh, – I know you're not in the room, so it's hard to, to know exactly, but anything you would do at this point to try to get, get, get a win here? Defense. You know, you might have to have some things on third down, like I said, to spy the guy so he doesn't hurt you with his legs. But uh, – uh, I think you continue to build on what you've been doing. You're starting to get better on defense. You've mentioned that they're uh, top five in the league on third downs. Continue that trend. Continue to dominate third down and pass rush. Uh, most important thing, if you get Justin Fields in third down and long, uh, you're going to make it a long day for Chicago. They're not going to be able to convert uh, very often. So uh, that's the most important thing defensively. And offensively, I think you build on your uh, success against Philadelphia or against uh, uh, Tennessee. Um, try to get some big plays, some shot plays going, and, and make sure you can continue to feel Antonio, uh, feed Antonio and, and uh, McKissick and, and Brian now. Um, and, and just lastly, this is a, this matchup is going to get made fun of a lot <laughs> come Thursday night because this is easily two of the worst teams in the league at this point. And there's been some discussion about whether the play in the league is down in general. Um, you are now at the, you're a, a sports bar regular. You're watching all the games. Do you think that do you agree that the play in general around the league is down? And if so, what do you attribute to that? I think early in the year it usually does look a little bit down. I think you're gonna see more offensive scoring here later on, but there are some teams uh, that are struggling uh, quite mightily. Even some teams that are, have some decent records aren't playing very well. Um, but I think that'll all change once you know people get to know their players and the play calling will change a little bit. Offensive linemen step up, play a little bit better. But um, when you look at the better teams in the league you know, the top 10, you're going to name the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, and that's who's playing well. That's just the way it is. If you don't have one of those top five or 10 quarterbacks, you're going to be in the two and two, two and three, one and three, one and four range, and and you better play incredible defense uh, if you are like that. So uh, that's the one thing that you look for Washington to do moving forward is they got to continue to dominate the line of scrimmage and hold people down and try to create more turnovers somehow to make it easier on the offense. This is what's this is what is crazy about this particular job of, of head coach that you've had is that if you don't have one of these best good great quarterbacks your you know your ceiling seems automatically lower if you don't have like the 85 bears defense it's like hard to see how to win and there's only so many of these quarterbacks alive on the planet <laughs> at any one time 
it's a, it's a, it's very it's it's very hard to walk out on Sunday. Sometimes you look across the field and like, holy cow, that's that guy's really good, and you know you're struggling to get a five yard gain. Uh, so yeah, it 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 makes it unfair. But uh, you did mention great defenses and and uh, winning a turnover battle and and not getting penalties, foolish penalties. Uh, those things you can control a little bit more, and you can put your team up position to win you're going to have to win some close games you're going to have to get a few breaks uh it's just the way it's going to be it's going to be a grind you know the rest of the year they're not going to win 35 to 7 ever uh most of their wins are going to be like the one against tennessee they're gonna have a chance to win at the goal line or they have to stop the other team driving at the end of the game Uh, that's going to come down to a two-minute drill it's going to come down to a key turnover a key pass interference or a roughing a passer call or something like that uh they just got to continue to figure out ways to grind it out stay positive and and uh, figure out a way to get wins at the end of games. They do indeed. Uh, Jay, always appreciate the time. Good luck watching uh, the game on Thursday and and uh, uh, whatever you do this weekend with the with the Sunday slate. Uh, enjoy that and uh, look forward to chatting next week. And hopefully, hopefully at least we have a, a different narrative to discuss one way or the other. Yeah, you got it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, great chat with Jay Gruden. Before I get to my conversation with Robert Mays, just a quick note here. Um, Robert and I were discussing Carson Wentz, and he made a uh, he made a point, Robert, in looking up something on Pro Football Focus that suggested that Wentz was the uh, quarterback in the league most responsible for his own sacks. Later, after we finished the podcast, Robert told me that he looked at the wrong chart that he's actually, Wentz is actually 11th in that particular category, and he has been pressured the most uh, on dropbacks in the league, and that's what he saw. Um, I didn't edit it out. It was part of the conversational flow, but I just wanted to tell you that here just so you know um, that's the deal. Okay, anyway, here we go. Fun conversation with Robert Mays of The Athletic. Let's do that right now. All right, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie. It feels like a little bit of a waste to have this next guest on to only talk about Bears Commanders on Thursday night because he covers the entire NFL. But this is what we're here to do because not only does he cover the NFL, he's a noted Chicago Bears uh, thinker, follower, fan, lover. I don't know whatever he is at this point because they've had their own journey. He is here with us to talk about this game Thursday and more about the commanders and the NFL. He is Robert Mays, uh, host of the Athletic Football Show and NFL writer for the Athletic. Uh, am I I right? I mean, come on. I mean, ultimately, a Thursday game, Commanders Bears, the entire country is going to be mocking this matchup. So this doesn't feel like a good use of your time, but this is the lot we both have chosen in life. Oh, that's so, so silly. It's a perfect use of my time. This is I love kind of digging around in the dumpster like a raccoon. And, and that's exactly what this is. We got to do it last Thursday. I loved talking about that game after it was over on the athletic football show. So, no, th- this is a perfect use of my time and my energy. I uh, you going through all of those signifiers. I was wondering what the correct descriptor would be. Uh, Chicago Bears sufferer, Chicago Bears. endurer. Um, I don't know exactly where I'd land, but probably somewhere along that spectrum. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll get to all that in a second, but you know, we, we're, we're wrapping up week five. We're talking on Monday, Monday Night Football. We'll, tonight we'll conclude week five, and I think we've probably reached a point where you have a feel for where this league is right now, both just in terms of the general play and also with teams, you know, who, who's legit, who's not. Um, for the most part, give me your sort of team that, that for you has just sort of 
been the most interesting or stood out for whatever the reason uh, through uh, five games? It's hard to do. You know, I think that if you had asked me that question two weeks ago, I probably would have said the Dolphins and the Eagles. I still think the answer is probably the Eagles. Because if you're putting the teams in tiers, which we did last week with Mike Sando, and then we talked about it a little bit on the athletic football show on Sunday night, I do think the tier at the top is still Buffalo and the Chiefs. And I think the Eagles are probably in there just from a roster talent perspective. You know, they didn't play well on Sunday against the Cardinals. They still win that game. Cardinals are a weird team to play against, especially on defense right now with some of the stuff that Vance Joseph is doing. So I think the Eagles are the team that is in that group that maybe people didn't necessarily expect coming into the season. You know, they have so much talent, even in games where they feel uneven. You know, you watch a game like Sundays and CJ Gardner Johnson has a moment. Hassan Reddick has another sack. You know, they have all these guys that they have accumulated in the past off season, the past few months that come up big pretty much every single game and ways big and small. So I think that that's probably what I'd say. And that the Eagles are, in my opinion, a like true blue Super Bowl contender, maybe the best team in the NFC. And that isn't necessarily something that people saw coming. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I got to see them firsthand uh, week three here in Washington. And uh, their passing game was wildly impressive um, in, in that game. You know, I, I, I meant to actually start with this. You know, Tom Brady made the comments a week ago, I think at this point, about how when asked about parity in the league, he just said he sees bad football. And in fairness, I that, that, that statement rang true to me because I'm covering a team that is at least partly responsible for games that are not always the most entertaining. They've dropped four in a row at this point uh, and so on. So I'm like, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. Plus they had games against the Lions and Jags and whatever else. But I don't get to watch as much of, of the rest of the league as you do. His statement seems fair, though. And when you watch some of these national TV games, the Colts, Broncos, for example, I don't know if it's just because the offenses are down this year, but it does feel like we're getting more bad football. But you tell me, is that, you know, it is still early in the year. What's your view of of, of that statement from uh, Brady? Yeah, I think it is just bad offense. You know, we have offenses, offensive production around the NFL is down. If you look at just efficiency and points scored, every single metric that you can look at. So the best offenses in the league are depressed compared to where we're used to seeing them. And then we have some truly bad offenses, you know, what the Carolina has been doing, what the Colts have been doing. The Rams have been abysmal, right? The Rams. Uh, Washington has been really bad. Pittsburgh has been really bad. The Broncos have been really bad. I think it's for a, a multitude of reasons. You know, I do think that teams are struggling to block the amount of offensive line injuries we've had, especially a tackle, I think has really torpedoed some of these teams. You have bad offensive infrastructures in places like Pittsburgh. Russell Wilson looks like he's pretty broken, to be honest. And LA, they can't block anybody. The Colts, they can't block anybody. In Carolina, the offensive, again, infrastructure has been completely rotten and has been for a couple of years. So I think you still have all of those teams at the bottom. And then when you don't have other teams at the top kind of lifting this up, it all feels like we're kind of falling toward the middle. And I think part of that and the fact that we don't have as many explosive plays, as many points, is that we've come to a world now where we're back in like a too high cover two world where defenses are doing everything they can to limit those explosive plays. And now you have these teams that can do a lot of things, being the teams that are some of the most efficient offenses in football. Like the Eagles are fifth in EPA per play on offense. The Browns are third. You know, you still have the Chiefs and the Bills at the top, but 
there are surprising, some surprising entries at other places here. The Falcons are 10th and it's because they can do a little bit of everything. So I think there are a lot of reasons, but I think that Tom Brady is, Tom Brady is not far off in the sense that we are seeing some bad football. And I think that it, that's for a few different reasons. I mean, it is typical, right? The games that people say, wow, what an amazing game are 38, 35. When it's 13, 10, the way things used to be back in the, in the day when I, you know, when I walked up to, uh, when I walked to school uphill both ways kind of deal, um, people appreciated uh, a, a really good defense. But that's the thing. It's like it's hard to tell so far. Is this really good defense or just bad offense? And just based on some of the I agree with you on the offensive line. I mean, I'm watching the, the group here and it is a train wreck in, in pass protection. And it does feel like in the last few years that around the league has suffered, whether that's because guys coming out of college are playing at the spread offense too much and aren't being trained in the standard ways of the NFL or whatever. But um, yeah, it, it does feel to me like it's more like bad offense than like dynamic defense, but maybe there would be when the smoke clears, we'll see the coordinators have adjusted to the various offenses that have taken over the league over the last few years. Yeah, I, I think it will get better. You know, with time, I think that some of these offenses that have been really, really bad are going to be better. Like the Broncos, it'd be hard for them to be worse. The Colts would be hard for them to be worse. So five games, four games is not a representative sample about what an entire season is going to look like. If you go back and you listen to conversations we had around this time last year, four or five games into the year, I, I'm assuming you're going to hear a lot of conversations about, are any teams good? Like, where are the good teams? Why isn't anybody playing well? So this is more of an annual thing than it might seem, even if I do think that the offensive swoon this year is a little bit more pronounced than it has been over the last few years. All right. Well, you know, in terms of offenses struggling, this is a uh, Washington is, is, is near the top of that list. I mean, Carson Wentz has some pretty good individual stats he threw for way over 300 yards yesterday and had a couple nice touchdown throws to Deami Brown but by and large they are re remaining uh, very inconsistent they were one for 11 on third downs you know yesterday they took their first lead in the first half since week one uh you know it, there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on and I know we you and I talked about Carson Wentz uh and 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 your concerns uh before the uh before the season started uh I, I joked with you a few times on Twitter earlier this year when you were saying here are the games I'm going to watch and Washington was there a couple of times but admittedly you're watching more for I think the other team than you were for Washington so I don't know how much you've seen of them in total because you're trying to watch all the games but what's been your view from the outside about where this thing is? Because right now, one and four tied for the worst record in the league. And we're about one loss away from me starting to focus on mock drafts. <laughs> it does feel like we're kind of coming to the end of this thing, huh? Like, I, I just don't know. If we're trying to find reasons why this current regime should be able to kind of shepherd us through whatever this period looks like. I think you're starting to run out of reasons. I mean, they've had a decent amount of time to oversee this. It doesn't seem to be getting better. And I think that you see this all the time with quarterbacks. And you saw it last year with the Colts and Carson Wentz, where there's this hubris associated with the ways that some teams see themselves and they see quarterbacks who are available. And they look at what a guy was and think, I can work with that. You know, I can fix that. Like I, Whatever that guy is and whatever his struggles were, like he's going to be better here because of what we can give him. And then you get Carson Wentz and he's just Carson Wentz. Like for the most part, these guys are just these guys. And every once in a while, there are circumstances leading to somebody like Matthew Stafford going somewhere else and being like, oh man, like Matthew Stafford in a better situation looks better. But 
I think that's more the exception than it is the rule. Like I made a joke the other day that there was a sketch on SNL like three or four years ago with Adam Sandler and he was in charge of a travel agency. And it was a, a commercial where he was telling everyone that I want to make it clear to you that just because we can send you on a trip to Italy doesn't mean we can make you a happy person. Like the person you are here is the same person you are going to be in Italy. And it feels like we're doing that with Carson Wentz. Like the same Carson Wentz that he was in Indianapolis is going to be the same Carson Wentz that he is in Washington. Like those things are not going to change. And then you watch him play and it's like, oh yeah, that's just Carson Wentz. And that's kind of how it feels right now. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Now that I've gotten to watch it for a few weeks and, and going back to training camp as well, you know, there's the top 15 or so quarterbacks that are, you know, the ones that you feel most comfortable with, even within that top 15, there's tiers, of course, but like, you know, the ones you think, okay, we've got a shot to make a run in the playoffs with this person. Right. And then there's like the group at the bottom where you're like, oh, boy, you know, this is just a stop gap. We got to, what are we doing? But then there is another group. I feel like we're in Carson Wentz, I think is in that group. And that is maybe sort of like where Ryan Tannehill was last year with the Titans. And that is if we ask him to try to win this game for us, it's not going to happen. If he needs to elevate the rest of the team, not going to happen. But Carson Wentz can make some very nice throws. He he has repeatedly uh, made throws where we're all like, wow, that was pretty awesome. But the problem is that this the, the, the team, the roster construction, in my opinion, failed when it has come to helping prop him up let him do what he does the offensive line is way down from where it's been the last uh couple of of, of years they you know the, the defense is still you know pretty erratic even though they've been better the last three weeks and I think it's almost like they thought Wentz would be the, the franchise quarterback term that he actually could be that guy but it's obvious he's not so as bad as we sort of all want to kind of make it out to be on him I really just think they've let him down that said the his worst instincts come out over and over again is including like when he's in the pocket and the pressure is there and and what happens um he had multiple intentional groundings against dallas when he could have done a better job of getting the ball get rid of the ball earlier etc cetera, etc cetera. so and then of course i don't know if you said what you thought of that interception he threw at the end of the of the um game on sunday um good play by the linebacker maybe not the best decision but so that's kind of how where i'm at i'm not giving when to pass I just wish they had given him better help because he's not a guy that's going to carry you the way people talk about a franchise quarterback. I just think he needs so much help at this point. Like you yeah. almost have to put him in laboratory conditions in order to expect something good out of him because of how bad he is in the pocket. I'm looking at it right now. I wanted to pull it up because I was just curious. Carson Wentz this season has allowed 69 of his own pressures. According to PFF, that is the highest rate in the entire NFL. Okay. It'd say that again. Quarterback own pressures allowed. So how many of your pressures are you responsible for compared to what the offensive line is responsible for? Right. He is number one in the league. And that makes sense. When you watch the way that he's played over the last couple of years, when things start to deteriorate in terms of infrastructure, offensive line talent, and a lack of trust has developed with what he's seeing, what the offense is, everything just starts to crumble and unravel. That's what's happened. It wasn't quite as bad in India last year because I think they did a good job of mitigating it. But when you watch what happened in Philly in 2020, I mean, it was an absolute disaster. And you see 
little echoes of that watching him right now. So even if the offensive line isn't great, the offensive line you would need to have in order for Carson Wentz to consistently look good week in and week out would have to be like the 2016 Cowboys. Okay, that offensive line does not exist in the way that the NFL currently works. Like if you put him on the Eagles now, maybe he might be okay. But I think that threading that needle is pretty difficult. But that is the game you play when you decide that Carson Wentz is going to be your quarterback. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's like th- th- this experience has been like, you hear people keep telling you, you got to watch this show. Here's here's what this show is. And some people are really you in your world are really good at you, you trust their opinion. Other people are like, yeah, I don't know. Everybody's opinion on this one has been pretty accurate. Like all the things I was told over the last few months about his, you know, the issues and various ways have all come true. I, not, I don't know about the locker room stuff yet, that that's not been an issue to my knowledge at this point, but in terms of the play on the field, it's all come true. And it's so fascinating to see how he seemingly uh, can't change. That said, this is where they're at. They're one in, uh, they're one in four. They're, they, they're on a short week now coming to Chicago. I, I think they actually played probably their best game this week since the opener when they beat Jacksonville. But, you know, that said, <laughs> you know, they, they still couldn't get the job done. And, and, and we're kind of talking low bar here. Um, I don't know if it's a major changes come with a loss on Thursday, but that certainly will be a conversation that will be happening in this town if they lose or even if they don't look particularly inspiring in a win against a team that doesn't look good. Uh, you pay attention to the Bears. They had an interesting game this week against the Vikings, but ultimately lost. Uh, how do you handicap this one? I really don't know. I, because the Bears are not a good football team, but I think the Bears are capable enough that they could beat Washington with what Washington currently looks like. You know, they played again. Justin Fields had his best game of the season against the Vikings on Sunday. I thought he looked much more decisive. He made three or four throws. And it's like, all right, I can absolutely get on board with that. Uh, even when he was scrambling, he was scrambling on time. There were decisions he was making quickly. And that's encouraging. You know, this is a team in Chicago that the only difference between the Bears and some of these other teams that are just truly rebuilding is that they drafted Justin Fields in the first round last year. That's it. It's the only difference. The Bears are, I think, in the top three in dead money taken out in the NFL this year. They have $115 million in 2023 cap space. They spent less cash on their roster than any team in the NFL this offseason. Like, this was not a team that was stretching its resources to win games this year. This is all about just can we see some progress from the quarterback? And if we don't see progress from the quarterback, are we in a position to draft someone else next year? And can we just press fast forward until 2023? and see what this looks like after really tearing it down to the studs. So the fact that Bears could win this game, I think is more of an indictment of where Washington is than it is a comment about how good the Bears have been. Um, beyond Wentz, has anything stood out to you about Washington? You know, you and Nate Tice obviously uh, talk about these games. Um, they played Dallas last week, so I imagine at a minimum you were watching, <laughs> you're watching Dallas or maybe this week uh, paying attention to what Tennessee is doing because Tennessee might be the class of the AFC South at this point. Uh, has anything else kind of stood out to you, good or bad, about the play, the coaching, or anything like that? I mean, the interior of the offensive line is clearly just such a problem. And when you lose your starting center again for the second straight year, obviously that's going to be an issue. You know, the fact that they're yanking their right guard midway through the game. I mean, that's never what you want to see. And now you have your right tackles hurt. I mean, that, that the offensive line issues, I think, have definitely crept up on defense. It's just it's gotten a little bit better over, over the last couple of weeks compared to what it was early in the season. 
but it's just such an underwhelming group overall, right? Like you have this team that, you know, last year we thought coming into the season that they could have one of the best defenses in the league. I certainly didn't think that this year, but they're just average. Like they're just, they're, they're so forgettable in so many ways right now. And that just kind of brings me back to where is this thing going? Like, where is the progress? Like, it just feels like they're really spinning their wheels in a way that feels stagnant. And there just isn't a lot of development or forward momentum in almost any direction. And you're just kind of sitting there being like, what are we doing here? Like, like, what are the signs that we are moving in any sort of direction that people should be optimistic about? A hundred percent. Rivera, the last couple of weeks, has started to throw out more and more of the idea of, you know, it's not going to be fixed overnight. And everybody's kind of reaching the point of like, uh, well, it is your third year and you are overseeing everything. And most of the roster is guys that you brought in. The coaching staff is all your guys. And then on top of it, arguably the four best players on the team, Terry McLaurin, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, I'm not counting Chase Young, who's hurt. They were all inherited. And frankly, so was Chase Young to an extent because the, he, he Rivera came in having the number two pick in the draft after what happened the year before. So the best parts of this team were already here. And the question is, how have they been able to build on it? And it, that's where I think that <laughs> the rubber beats the road, as they, as they say, because it doesn't feel like they've they've done that. And thus, when they're in this position, it's it, that's why it's, it's not even feeling like it's about Carson Wentz solely. They don't have the, the infrastructure around him to help offset any of the other issues he has or, or whatever. And to me, that's the big, the, the big hang up right now in this Rivera era. And if things keep going South, why people will be asking the question of, you know, should they make a change? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you look at like the draft history and what they've gotten out of some of these guys. And again, it's just like, it's just like a shrug, you know, like, like what they are and, and the production that they've gotten from most of these classes. I mean, like the Jamin Davis conversation is an entirely different thing, but I just, there isn't a lot of reason for optimism, you know, like so far there just hasn't been anything that you look at it. Like, this is what I can really grab onto if I'm a fan of this team about why this can get better because it isn't trending in that direction. All true. Hard to argue. Otherwise, um, I'll let you go on this. Uh, it is only week five. The Super Bowl is miles away, but if you sort of had to, I don't know. I guess let me, let me ask this. Not rather than just saying who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl. You mentioned the Eagles before. Is there an, is is that the team, or is there another team that you're like, you know what? This is a team that is a lot more interesting to me in terms of that uh, big picture, or maybe the other way too. A team that you thought had a chance to be that team standing in the end that's just completely fallen off. I don't know if they've completely fallen off. I think that uh, the Chargers are disappointing uh, compared to what I thought they could be. Just that's every again, year, isn't it? Yeah, it's every year. And, and, and injuries are a big part of that. You know, like you lose Joey Bosa, you lose your left tackle and, you know, the offensive structure and the what they, they're trying to do on offense. Just like, again, so underwhelming. It's just like you watch it. And it's just like, I want so much more out of this with Justin Herbert as your quarterback. So they've been like a tiny bit disappointing. Um, other than that, like, I think the Rams have been really bad. I mean, it, it, in a way that would be hard to predict. You know, they've just been so, so bad on offense. And it feels like the bottom has kind of fallen out there. <sighs> Other than that, not really. I mean, I think this, the Bengals offense, I think is another group that people probably had high hopes for, and they've been really terrible. And then the Colts, you know, I thought the Colts were going to win the AFC South. I thought they'd be the best team in the AFC South. And there's a chance that they're the worst team in the league. So I think of any conversation about the most disappointing teams or the teams where the results have been 
pretty far removed from what the expectations were. I think the Colts have to be in that discussion. All right, well, I'm looking to have a the opposite of a disappointing trip to Chicago this week. Uh, yeah, I may hit you up for recommendations for Wednesday night uh, while I'm there. Uh, I assume I will not see you, though, because you'll be busy working on the uh, Athletic Football Show podcast, YouTube, and all that stuff, I assume, right? I will be doing a lot of that. We are doing a uh, live show on Thursday night after the game. So if you want to hear us break down uh, the Washington football team and the Bears right after that monstrosity ends, you can do that on YouTube. So come join us. All right, go go uh, uh, subscribe to the Athletic Football Show podcast. Follow Robert on Twitter at Robert Mays, M-A-Y-S. Um, appreciate it, my guy. We'll, we'll see what happens. And uh, <laughs> only 12 games left. We'll see. We'll see how it Sounds goes. Sounds good. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon.